possibly a bigger blowhard <laughs> than like true any uh i hope action bronson doesn't listen to this Was that you making that noise? The, that was the... That was, that was the metronome. Yours sounded spot on. Hey folks, welcome to How I Hear It. Uh, it's our podcast where uh, Max and I talk about music, culture, and the intersection between the two. Uh, That's Jordan and I'm Max. <laughs> welcome to our show. This is sort of episode zero. This is the origin story that the prequel we will revisit later on for an animated series or like a comic book of some kind. The extended How I Hear It universe. We're sitting here in the studio that we had built uh, from the ground up. Helicopters are still bringing more particle material. I would have said supplies. They're flying around supplies. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna be yeah, we're gonna be in here for a long time, so uh, yeah. you'll hear some helicopters maybe. There's, They're uh, just dropping off food and wine. There's EMTs and ambulances on hand in case we were to injure ourselves during mm-hmm. podcasting, during this death-defying stunt. Sure. There's shovels in case I talk myself into a hole. I thought you were going to say in case we die so we can just be buried quickly and easily. Just bury one another? Yeah. I'll bury you if you bury me. That's a deal. All right. On air. Um, before we get to... The, the meat, the content of our episode, which is going to be kind of like where we both come from, I guess, in terms of how we became nerds and how we became music nerds specifically, what our upbringing was like in that world. Uh, we're going to do a segment I like to call News Bites, Sound Bites, News s- Sound, Sound Bites. So, the News Bites. If I haven't thought of a name for it yet. The News is like candy to me, so am I, am I getting my dessert before my entree? That's an even better name for it. The news is candy to me. <laughs> <laughs> Our news segment. Max's snacks. That's good. That doesn't make any sense, but I guess it makes... It's, it's kind of like... You gotta listen to the episode zero for it to make sense, but... <laughs> it's an inside joke, but it's also related to what I've been calling my weekly column, Max's Picks. <laughs> <laughs> With an X. Stacks of Max's Snacks. That's what we have here in the corner of our studio. Snacks of Max's Stacks and Stacks Records. Um, so I want to, here's what I want to do. I'm going to list three headlines okay. from articles that I've found on various news media websites that have to do with music. And I'll tell you my favorite. <laughs> you tell me your favorite? <laughs> yeah. Mary, kill, yeah, yeah. favorite, yeah. as we know. That's how that game that's is played. F. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the F. Uh, but I also want you to tell me which one is not true. Oh, oh, that's fun. This is going to be a little bit hard, I think. Cool. All right, so here's the first one. Okay, you just know these, you have them memorized? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I take this very seriously. Did you say Barry serious? Yeah, well, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> it's going to be Betty, Betty I'm serious. I'm sweating through my tuxedo here in the studio. We've closed all the windows so the for the highest amount of sound quality. That's true. For the highest amount of helicopter-less sound quality. I am sweating. I'm sweating, too. 
just going to add to the show. It's going to give us a lot of edge. This is why we have EMTs on, on board. So our voices sound very moist. <laughs> Don't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right. If you stuck with us after that, <laughs> promise not to do it again. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Here's the first headline. Sturgill Simpson, mm-hmm. a coveted country artist, is set to release, along with his newest album, an animated anime short film. Okay, so you didn't memorize them. That's very good to hear, because that's definitely paraphrased and not memorized. That's definitely paraphrased, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's one. Okay. Um, here's number two. Okay. Uh, Tom DeLonge's Academy to the Stars UFO research organization that he founded post-Blink-182, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the U.S. Navy yeah. formally recognized that three separate videos that that academy put out are actual unidentified flying objects. Damn. The United States Navy. Wow. So that's number two. Okay. Number three, um, the ranch, Neil Young's ranch, his mm-hmm. estate, mm-hmm. has now agreed and taken open appointments for uh, air cremation, which is where you leave a body out. Yeah, like a, a sky burial. A sky burial, yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. Air cremation. They just started opening it up. So, so one of those is fake. Let me walk you through my process here. Cause okay. Initially, I was... It was very... Ob- I, I was convinced that the first two were true. Mm-hmm. And now I'm hearing the third one, and I'm debating between the second and third... Because I know that Tom DeLonge is prominent in the UFO community. Sure. And so initially I was like, that's obviously true, but now I'm thinking... Is he taken seriously in the UFO community? I don't know if there's a way that either of us would know that, but... Well, there is that one reality TV show that he has, right? Sure. I don't I don't think he's... The thing is, he's not taken seriously, in my view, in the Blink-182 community, I would think. Or at least the people like my age who grew up listening to those albums, you know? Right. Um, I think most of us have been like, all right, well, he's gone. That's fine. Well, but here's the, here's my, the challenge for me with that headline is I'm pretty sure that he, I'm pretty sure that he's well-respected in the UFO community, not from the outside. What I'm not sure about is whether the Navy has recognized his organization. That's a big deal. Right. So I'm inclined to say... Even though I have misgivings about the idea that Tom Petty, is his estate, is allowing people to do sky burials on his ranch. Neil Young. Neil Tom Young. Petty's dead. Okay, well, that could still be the case. Sure. I did misremember that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to say the Tom DeLong one is false. Nope. No? The Neil Young one is false. God. Unless something changed drastically in the last, like, six to eight hours... In Neil Young's oh, estate. That, wait, that um, is even more significant, the fact that he's alive and it's letting that happen to me somehow. What? No, the Neil Young one is not true. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, so Neil Young is, don't bring your, your dead bodies to Neil Young's house. He's not... I don't know, maybe he would be into Because he's it. sick and tired of it. People are always doing <laughs> He's sick and tired of it. I am just spreading the rumor that he's okay with this. Uh, yeah, I just made that up on the spot. Really? Pretty good, huh? That's pretty good. Pretty good. And that, that, so That's all... why our new segment is called 
Trick or treat. That's also why you had the made the terrible, inexcusable mistake of calling a sky burial an air cremation. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. That, all right. So someone confused about how they want to be cremated would definitely call it air cremation. Being cremated by fire being involved. eaten by birds. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you did. You knew the first one was true because we talked That's about true. it a while ago. Yeah. So I wanted to give you. I kind of gave you. a... That was a an easy one. That, that was, was a gimme. Yeah. But yeah, the Tom DeLonge, the U.S. Navy formally recognized three videos they released as uh, officially they are unidentified flying objects that they've recognized. But then I guess the deeper thing there is like, okay, how significant is that really? Like, what? how mm-hmm. significant is the designation of an unidentified flying object? All they know, all they're sure. saying about it is that it's unidentified. I mean, how many people... I mean, there are probably a lot, but how many people are just staunchly like, no, the U.S. government would never lie to us about aliens. Right. And then further back from that, why does it matter? Well, yeah. Who gives a shit about uh, the videos that Tom DeLonge is posting? It's like he posted a while ago about some sort of space material that they'd found. Right. That was supposed to be revelatory in the world of medicine or... I, I don't know how, right. what technology what is that doing for us what is that gonna solve for anyone like the end goal of Tom DeLonge and the aliens the only way that it's helpful at any point in time is if the aliens happen to be early Blink fans right. <laughs> and also wanna like I don't know like somehow convince us to stop this uh capitalist digression into I don't know nationalist tendencies or destroying the environment or destroying each other yeah maybe we'll we'll just happen to be sort of we'll, we'll happen to be colonized by a race of aliens that are really just nostalgic for their teenage years right like but little to nothing is accomplished by tom in and of himself it's mostly i, I don't know i guess it's good he's out there someone's looking for it I prefer, honestly, that to Action Bronson and, An- and the Ancient Aliens show, where he just yeah. literally watches Ancient Aliens yeah. <laughs> and smokes weed. That No, that is... I think that it looks... Is that more or less like honest? fun, but it, I think it is, like, a darker thing. Because it, it, it's not taking anything seriously. It's just... Right. And maybe you shouldn't take a- Ancient Aliens into... Wow. It shouldn't be a serious study or anything like that, but this it is gets, like... This gets to the heart of the question is, who do we have more respect for, Ashton Bronson or Tom DeLonge? Oh, God. <laughs> I think Ashton Bronson, because he's a capable chef. But he's also possibly a bigger blowhard <laughs> than, like... True. Any, uh, I hope Ashton Bronson doesn't listen to this. But he's not out trying to, like, stop... Or uncovered the government's lies. That's true. He just really wants to get high with but his friends. But it's the wrong lies. I don't yeah. know. Like, what if Tom DeLonge was out trying to figure out, like, how can we get some evidence that would let us convict George Bush of a war crime? You know? Right. How many people do you think would be on his side and be like, fuck yeah, dude? Like, a lot more. Nice. Yeah. You've got all these insights at the Pentagon, but instead he's like, I, I got all these, uh, all these connections now at the Pentagon and I can't talk about it, but. Stick around in a couple weeks, we'll show you a video, uh, it's gonna be blurry, and that'll tell you all you need to know. Guaranteed footage of greys. Right. (laughs) Big grey energy. Big grey energy. That's why we, that's what we named this section. Big, yeah. the podcast. Max's Snacks, Big Grey Energy Edition. Trick or Trap. (laughs)
Alright, how did you feel about our first run through of that? Um, I feel like if it if listeners can comprehend it, then it will be a success. I think what I'm looking forward to is getting like 10 out of 10 tricking you. <laughs> so, so far, excellent. I already Great felt work. such a big rush out of that one, and I wasn't sure, you know, it's kind of like DMing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah, well, it was a win-win for me because I got to correct you as far as what a sky burial is. Sure. Well, so <laughs> it's a tit for tat, <laughs> and this has been tit for tat on how I hear it. Our uh, new segment. Stick around after the bump, and we're going to talk about our origin stories. I don't like that we're calling it that, actually. Origin stories or bump? <laughs> stick around. Okay. hope Action Bronson doesn't listen to this. <laughs> uh, welcome back from the break. Hi. This is uh, How I Hear It. You're still listening to that, unless you've stopped listening and something's going on with your iPhone. I promise I won't smack if my lips anymore. I'm so sorry. Don't break your phone, though. Just stick with us. Uh, today, this is a, kind of like a prequel. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about where we came from, to give it a bigger context uh, for the rest of this show. We call this segment Behind the Music. This, yeah. <laughs> it's not trademarked, right? Trademarked. <laughs> it is now. Damn it. Wait, trust. That's beautiful. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of conceptual. Yeah, behind <laughs> behind the music. Because there's more music, or silence. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not the notes, it's what's between the notes. Miles Davis. Like the little the other keys on the piano. The black ones. So, between the notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we want to talk about kind of how both of us became the way that we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, without going into too many of the gritty details, the gross stuff. Uh, that'll be in our other podcast, uh, How I Smell It. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you got it? <laughs> it'll be like... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to punch <laughs> you in the arm. <laughs> that hurt a lot, but it, it'll be like those... Uh, you know, your favorite childhood television series, Spongebob, where they zoom in, and it's disgusting. You can see all of Patrick's pores. See, this is where our age difference really is reflected, because I didn't grow up watching that much Spongebob. Me neither, actually. I, I grew just... up watching CNN. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, That's where it if all you can't went wrong. see into the studio, Max just punched me in the arm now. <laughs> yeah, but by arm you mean face. So let's get into this next segment. Yes. Tit for tat. An eye for an eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, like, what's... What are some of your first memories as a kid when you realized... You know, like, it's it's maybe not something that you realize until much later on of, like, how, how deeply you are obsessed with music and with, mm-hmm. like, what albums, artists what different genres mean, and, like, you start thinking about these things in uh, terms that are generated mostly in college, I guess, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's an academic sense to it, I think, for both of us now, but, like, when I was a kid, I remember listening to the Beatles, I remember listening to the Beach Boys, uh, the Turtles, the Zombies, uh, a lot of just bands that my parents liked, because they were from that era, you know? Right. Uh, and definitely learning to sing along to those songs 
uh, in the car or just at home or wherever, that was a big thing, I think, for me. It was just getting to realize that, like, these are... Music's this thing you get to share with people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like... Music is such, like, a, uh... I don't know. Immediate and raw emotional response. And it brings us back so powerfully to, to memories. Um, but also that it's, it's something that... Uh, like, when we're young, we don't choose it for ourselves for the most part. Um, that... But we're like, as kids, we're just absorbing everything. Yeah. And learning so much. And so, I don't know, it's so much music that I enjoyed as a young person throughout my childhood, no matter what I come to understand about it later in life, it'll always kind of, it's, it's like, you know, watching old movies that I've re- like VHSs that I've watched a million times and like how fond I even am of like the previews right, yeah. at the beginning of it. It's just like, there's something about being that age. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it was music that my parents were playing in the car or at home. Like something that I always got from my dad was that which any has like a, a record collection was always like playing music just at the, at the house. And I came him, you know, just through that came to understand that music is just a daily part of life. Mm-hmm. That it just makes everything kind of more enjoyable. Right. Um, and also he always kind of played DJ, sort of. Like, he was trying to, like, put on music that he knew would have a certain effect on the rest of the family. Like, it's a song that we would all like. Wow, like, that's cool. Like, yeah. Someone was curating it. And you could mm-hmm. see a little, you could see behind the music. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, like, play a song on a record... And then that was the song, like, he was, like, acting like a DJ, because he, he'd had a history of having radio shows when right. he was younger in yeah. Mexico. And so he would literally, like, intentionally play one so- one track on a record. He wouldn't just play at the beginning, like, let the side play through, he would just play a song, and then he'd have another one lined up that he wanted to play. Right. Um, that's cool. So right away, you know, that's why I uh, hog the aux cord. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Yeah. That's good that you're self-aware. <laughs> I don't. I'd, like, uh, avoid the aux cord because I don't want to have... I don't want the responsibility. Because I'm usually just listening to something that I don't think... I mean, Maybe I just have an opposite perception of it. But usually I'm, like... Music, for me, mm-hmm. became very personal at some point, you yeah. know? Where this is what I'm listening to and enjoying while I'm doing something else or while I'm like laying in bed or walking or something like that. And it's not necessarily, although I very much appreciate and admire and sort of am jealous of like the DJ aspect of like using music to affect other people in some way or like to, to share it in that sense. Uh, I think a lot of what, like what I grew into was listening to stuff on my headphones and like sharing it with people I liked. Like Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I felt like I was a part of, an underground or, like, a secret outcast society of, like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know anybody else who's listening to Iron Maiden Number the Beast in, like, 2002 and is in middle school, you know? I, in my mind, I thought I was, like, the only one. Right. And I was, like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be into this. I don't really know that many people who, like, give a shit about an 80s metal band right now. But was there an experience where you realized that that was something that you shared with other people? yeah but I don't know if it was as groundbreaking so let's 
like when I think when it became more of like the searching for your own identity type of stuff, like when I got to middle school, I had subsumed a lot of like my older cousins' records, uh, which was like the Beastie Boys and which had like some bad brain songs and some like Rage Against the Machine, all of that was amazing, you know. But there was also some stuff, there was also, like, Atmosphere was on there, and there was also, like, Thrice and Thursday and, like, parts of that. <laughs> every like, band with a TH at the beginning. Every band with a TH. He had it all. Uh, Third Eye Blind. Yeah, and that, that, like, all of that stuff opened things up for me in a lot, in a lot of ways. But I think pre previously to that, all I'd been listening to was things that, like, I was definitely drawn to heavy music, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that meant I had to get it on CD. I had dial-up internet growing up, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't know, like, until I went to college, really, I had no idea what it meant to, like, stream an album online or to, to like, download stuff. On LimeWire? I remember, I remember spending, like, weeks downloading, uh, Jesus Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam by the fucking Vaselines. <laughs> weeks. Like, every day, like, Cause clearing it, out time. Could be interrupted? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, my mom would get on the phone, right, and it would just stop the whole connection. Mom! I had to, like, time it out, and, like, yeah. I would just, like, get home from school, get LimeWire going, start the download again, like, like all right, 40%, I'm going to try to get to, like, maybe I'll get to, like, 53 today, right. and then I'll, like, cool it for a while. I don't want to try to push my chances, you know? Right. But I had no idea what any of that meant until, like, my best friend Tyler gave me his old iPod, because mm. he got a new one, he sold me his old one, and it was super out of date, but it had, like... 80 gigs of music. Yeah, the and it was like bricks. Previously to that, I had like a CD collection that was maybe like 10 to 15. Right. And it was all over the place because right. there was no way to experiment with that stuff. You know, I had like Black Sabbath. Uh, I had Led Zeppelin, How the West was one. I thought that was just every Led Zeppelin song. Right. You know, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was just yeah. a live, like it was a lot of Led Zeppelin songs, but right. uh, I had like Shaggy, uh, okay. Nine Days, The Madding Crowd, uh, which were all just choices that I made, and I think what's, like, been lost as an authentic experience, but it was just, like, being in, uh, for me, at Best Buy or a record store, mm-hmm. and looking at the cover art and thinking, this looks like something I like, you know, right. like, that's how I ended up with, like, Highway to Hell, ACDC, that's how I ended up with every ACDC album, mm-hmm. uh, in middle school and high school, I was, like, obsessed, and that's how I ended up with, like, Iron Maiden, with, uh, Power Slave, with Number of the Beast, yeah, it was just stuff that I liked. And then I got an iPod full of all of this stuff, and uh, I immediately tried to sync it to my empty computer and lost all of it, oh. like, within ten minutes. God. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. It was, uh, devastating. Yeah. Jesus. It's like, someone just gave me the whole, the whole... The world. The keys to yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> and then I just, it was gone. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Yeah. See, because yeah. for me, like, I feel like the real draw for music has always been sharing it mm-hmm. with people like tell me if you've had the same experience but like there's they're two different but related experiences of enjoying a song a lot and then sharing it or, or, or giving it to someone and then when I listen to it again the next time especially if I know that they're listening they're like oh like we'll listen now and then I listen to it at the same time I have a different experience of the song because I know that someone else is listening to it and I'm imagining what they might be thinking about right as they listen to the song and so for me that's always been kind of the point in a lot of ways has been like i'm excited like if i'm getting really excited about some kind of music 
I want someone else to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... I think, so, let's go back to, like, tell me what you were listening to when you started buying records. Like, for me, I don't think it was until, like, fifth or sixth grade that I was, like, buying records. But I was also still trying to, like, fit in very much, you know? Like, I was buying CDs of what would be, like, contemporary pop and stuff like that. I can't think of... But I was also buying buying weird stuff. Like, I was getting, like, the Black Album by Metallica Mm -hmm. and, like, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And I was also asking my mom to buy me, like, an Abercrombie and Fitch shirt. And she was was like, absolutely fucking not. (laughs) Because why? It was, like, 60 bucks for, like, a shirt with a hole in it. That was, like, that was Yeah, and that, like, <laughs> also, like, the material was just, like, terrible. She like was, like, gauze. why? Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, looking back, definitely, I was, like, why would you, why did I want that? Right. But I just wanted to look cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I guess probably fifth, fifth or sixth grade is around the time that I'm, like, becoming, uh, yeah, like, aware of my own tastes mm-hmm. in a bigger way, and even though that's, like, still just, like, cobbled together from what I was around. You know what I mean? Like, at that, I, I think, again, at that age, like, you're really just kind of grasping for whatever's available to be like, yeah, this is me. This is what I'm about. Right. So I think the earliest kind of music that I was really self-directed about was I got a huge cardboard box. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Edit that out. It's just the fully over the, the cardboard box. <laughs> and when I opened it up, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sound of the dust made. Yeah, we'll no. go back through and put a lot of fart noises and stuff throughout the whole episode just to. I was gonna make a fart noise just now. I thought better of it. That's good. <laughs> um, I'm learning, but so I got a big box of stuff from my aunt that, and it was full of like board games, mm-hmm. like Hero Quest, which I wish I still had. It was like a wow. classic board game with all these really cool really miniatures. Cool. Um, but it had like that, and I feel like it maybe had a clue, and it had a number of puppets, like Muppet kind of puppets in there. Um, but it also had my aunt's entire Weird Al collection. So like um, like almost the entire Weird Al discography. I mean, yeah. That's, some of it on tape, some of it on CD. That's a big grab. I mean... Fifth grade. It was just like, you know, they were getting rid of everything, of all that stuff. And I was like, oh my god, like, Mm -hmm. I love Rocky Road. Mm -hmm. Wow, you know? Uh, This is incredible. Like, uh, you know, and like, I was was kind of exposed all at once to uh, sort of parody and this kind of, like, outsider attitude that was, like, so far outside of the realm of what's cool that it's, like, you know, it's not even, uh, like, heavy music. In the sense of, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm not into that pop stuff. It was, like, literally, like, for the first couple of years of being a serious music fan, I was, like, obsessed with gimmick music. You know, like, novelty music. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, like, I wasn't, I didn't know a lot of the original, I didn't hear a lot of these original songs that he was parodying until many years later. Right, that's, I mean, that's super interesting, because I wonder what that, what that experience looks like on the other side of that, like, someone who's watching in real time. Weird Al parody Michael Jackson right. or something. Well, and that that would yeah that would be totally different in some ways because even if you are kind of younger because yeah the, the references are immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time I'm getting it, like those are already old references. It's like yeah, it's like fifteen years old. And Weird Al is someone who, like, 
he couldn't wait to finish his contract to finish making all those albums because he realized increasingly how bad of a, a format it was for him to make albums because once mm-hmm. he tried to make a parody of a song, it was already like out of date. So like the immediacy right. of releasing yeah, yeah. singles was really the thing that served him best. Yeah. So as soon as he could be done with making albums, he was done. But you know, so <laughs> I really appreciated the kind of artistry and the kind of like look like sideways look at the mainstream uh, kind of thing and like you know trash jokes and you know fart jokes and and all that kind of stuff like right uh, was very appealing to me and then. I think it's, it's, it, it, I don't know how unique this is. I mean, it's, it's unique to, to me and to my life, but I think this kind of attitude of being that age and feeling like, you know, you're a kid who reads and like dur- during recess or whatever in the library and like, you know, I, I did feel kind of like out of place uh, and different than other people and, you know, kept to myself a lot and thought a lot, didn't have a whole lot of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Weird Al made help me make sense of that fed into that made me feel like I'm smarter and funnier like like it fed into my kind of feelings of um you know all the popular kids are jerks and they're idiots sure and you know what I mean in the, in the same in the same way that like punk music in in the next year or so right. would appeal to me well like yeah it's defensively like right. I'm not one of these idiots or jerks who's who are popular or cool but it's right. because Obviously, I know more. You know, I'm right. cooler. Or I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm listening to fucking Pink Floyd's Animals. Yeah. You know? I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, pigs. Three and different kinds. Every, every part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all just sinking in. Yeah. I'm just, in reality, it's all just washing over me and like my eyes are like wide in horror staring at my ceiling like listening to right. Pink Floyd. I was like, I'm just all the political uh, references just going totally over my head. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy and obviously this is this show we're doing right now is be to be providing context into like the things that we say and the things that we're we felt and the things mm-hmm. that we feel now but like even when you're a kid you don't have context to any of it like right. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon I don't know that I had a meaning for that album past if you play it alongside the Wizard of the Oz it's like uh, you like, know when the MGM when the MGM lion roars on the second roar mm-hmm. you start it and this moment in the middle of the film where you, it kind of like, you just have to let it Did you run. do it? Oh yeah. You just have to like, let it run. And then when the cowardly lion roars, when he first introduces himself and on the second roar, you start it again. Did you have like a record player that you were doing that on? Yes. Okay. Like it wasn't like a CD. Yeah. It was a, it was a record. Yeah. Pretty tight. That's very, yeah. Super but tight. You, but you have to play the album twice because it runs through all the way right. once and then you have to get it going again. The, cool, the coolest part, sorry for the digression, is when... The color kicks in and money starts. That part's tight. Well, we have to, you gotta not uh, sing songs. Oh yeah, they're gonna we're gonna get sued. Damn it! I think it's fewer than fifteen seconds. Anyway, okay. Um, it's that first ten million dollars. Our firstborn children. <laughs> um, the, before, but wait, what were you just saying before I? I think we're. I think that's it. We're done. Oh, that's okay. End of the episode, folks. Thanks so much for listening. No, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of, yeah, I was listening to music, I think, and I was seeking out music that I felt like would set me apart. Yeah, like, I knew I was, 
I think I knew deep down that there was I was different in a lot of ways, but I wasn't sure that I saw any camaraderie in anyone around me. I just had this feeling about it, and there was something I really connected with in like the the loudest stuff, like in the in Black Sabbath. Oh, for sure. Like I I mean I heard those songs and I was like, yeah. I get it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely understand this, you know? Uh, and I think I was a little bit more evasive towards things that seemed a little more highbrow, like Pink Floyd, mm -hmm. uh, and like, um, Simon and Garfunkel, stuff like that. And like, my mom loved Paul Simon too. And I, that was like, you know, I, I listened to the poppier songs, but I don't know that you could have made me listen to the parts of it that you could dissect or talk about in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. It was mostly for me just, like, about gut feeling, guttural reaction to, like, the the actual sound, like, the tones and the bass and the drums right. and the, like, the mostly wailing of Ozzy. Right. Yeah. See, whereas for me, and I think maybe it is kind of indicative of the fact that I started with Weird Al, which is, like, it's, he's only kind of interested in the music to the extent that it's a good imitation mm -hmm. or approximation of the thing he's parodying. It's really about the lyrics. Yeah. And the wordplay. And so... In that way, that's always been the kind of thing that appealed to me most, or that I've looked for most in music, has been stimulating, like, storytelling or creation of atmosphere. Right, yeah. Um, so, where, you know, like, my mom also really loves Paul Simon and Bob Dylan, and but my experience of that music, especially as I got older, but even in those days, was, like, asking my mom what they meant. Yeah. And so we would always have discussions about, like, you know, like, I remember the excitement and, like, the, just the pleasure that I get out of unpeeling a couple layers of the Bob Dylan song, Don't Think Twice, It's Alright, because it's a kind of a sad song. Yeah. It's about, like, I gotta move on, because you just, you just don't love me no more, I guess, but it's also a funny song. There's, like, all these layers of humor underneath, because mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, look, like, because it's like this list of horrible, kind of, how this person, how the, the speaker of the song has been done wrong, and they say, but, you know what, don't worry about it. Yeah. It's, it's just totally sarcastic. Anyway, so, like, like for me, that's what I look for in music, is that, like, is double meaning and, like, wordplay, and, um, so, but then, so, like, that's what I really appreciate at the beginning of, like, being a music listener and seeking out music, but then when I came across Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, the album Blood Sugar Sex Magic in my aunt's apartment, Mm-hmm. Plug that sucker, plug that puppy right into my Walkman, my my Discman rather, uh, and was just like introduced all in one go to explicit sexuality. So what age is that though? I was probably sixth grade. So like it's like eleven. Yeah, like eleven or something like that. And what was your understanding of explicit sexuality up to up until that point? Well, I had always had so it's probably all from the library because <laughs> from the. From you like just... YA novels, and okay, shit. like like or like graphic novels. I see. I thought you were going a different direction. I thought you were going to like anatomy books or like no. Yeah. Okay. No, I was like reading like, teen, like like, YA romance novels geared toward like young girls. Okay. <laughs> like like I like I remember finding a, um, an, not unauthorized, but like what do they call them when they're like, not a finalized book like a unfinished copy or some kind of uh -huh. it was like a book that's like anyway so in, I remember in sixth grade I think uh, there was a big box of like I don't know p books that were like to be edited or like not completely ready for publication and I remember grabbing one that was called Shrimp I forget the name of the author now 
but it's do you, does this ring a bell at all? No. It's about this the, the main character is this teenage girl who's like in love with this surfer guy in San Francisco. Who's named Shrimp? Who's named Shrimp? Because oh he's kind of short. Jesus. I'd read the whole I read the entire thing and I and I liked it so much. I found the the prequel or like the book that had come before it and I read that one too. Yeah. And it's like totally sappy romance uh teen girl YA novel, but there was like sexy stuff in it. Right. And I was like damn, like did you this rules. Were you empathetic more towards the main character or towards Shrimp? The main character, for okay. sure. Yeah. I was identifying with her all the way. Right. Um but I'll, but but main the main thing was just like, whoa this adult dynamic or like, or I remember, uh, reading, um, looking for Alaska by John Green, the guy who did the fault in our stars. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Did you ever read that book? I did not. I okay. should. He's an Indiana person, I think. Oh my God. I, I, the moment has passed, but I would have, it would have been so funny if you had read that at, at the same, during the same age, because that one is like, whoa, like manic pixie dream girl like this like this girl that you meet named mm-hmm. Alaska because her, her parents like spun the globe and just like put their finger right and that's yeah. why her name is Alaska and she's like a fuck up and I remember like there's like a, a mention of like peeing yourself or like the smell of piss in the book and I was like damn that's gnarly and like they do drugs you know and it's like yeah. and so that's the, the protagonist in that one is a young boy it's a young boy and so I identified even more closely I think right yeah with yeah that protagonist but that kind of like teenage romance was always really upfront for me and what did the Red Hot Chili Peppers do? Did they reinforce that, or was it like kind of like breaking that thing apart? It was... It reinforced it, because I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Anthony Kiedis in his songwriting have, like, a very adolescent sexual approach to sexuality. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh... Like, I loved to recite the song Sir Psycho Sexy word for word, and it is just... It's just a kind of a gross sex rap with, with like you know it's all kind of semi-joking yeah but uh I, I don't know I I felt like it was very earnest when, when I was first listening to it I was like wow like this is so raw and like and also the liner notes were so deeply sexual to me where it was like all the art around the around the lyrics were like their tattoos Right, yeah. And there's, like, a photo that I remember really clearly of Anthony Kiedis, and he's wearing, you know, he's almost always shirtless, but he's wearing, like, uh, overalls and no shirt underneath, and he's got his arm up, and you can just see his pit hair. And it's just super clear, and I was just like, damn. Now that, like, that is a man. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a sexual man. Did it make you, like, were you then re-examining, like, in a teenage way, like, all right, well, how do I, am I, like, is that what I am? Well, I was like, like, it might have even been that night, but I was like, I need so many tattoos immediately. Yeah, I need tattoos. I gotta get some eyeliner. Yes. Uh, then you're, you're suddenly you understand why everyone's always looking for a full length mirror. Yeah, yeah. I started. Gr- I grew my hair out long, like Anthony yeah. Kiedis. Um, I I read his autobiography, Scar Tissue, like ten times. Well, that didn't come out when you were that age, though. Yeah. Did it? Yeah. Really? I, I was like probably twelve or thirteen. Huh. Yeah, and like my favorite part was definitely. The kind of innocent days of him smoking weed with his friends before he got really into heavy drugs. Right. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah, that's like me. Um, and I didn't really want to think about all the rest of the <laughs> like he like his life goes horribly downhill. Um, but yeah, so that that's when I was like, okay, I'm not into kid shit anymore. You kind of like yeah. Then you're starting to build this identity of mm-hmm. Anthony Kiedis. Right. But then around the same time is when I'm I meet some kids in middle school who are punks mm-hmm. and who listen to punk music and I like, started going to punk shows. What was the punk music? 
I mean, that's when I got, like, a Circle Jerks t-shirt. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, like, my friends were listening to Bad Brains and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And they were in a band called Dogbone, uh, which, yeah, it was, like, a kiddie punk band. Yeah. And, like, their parents came to every show kind of a thing. Right. And then around that same time, maybe seventh grade, I did a summer rock camp. And that's when I performed Give It Away of vocals. I think I played drums. Which is a Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Which is a Red Hot Chili Peppers song. So the audience knows. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, I think I also played drums on Jamaica. Dire Maker. I'm not actually sure if it's that a, is it's a Led Zeppelin Chili song. Peppers. No. Oh. You know, the one, the, like, their weird reggae song? Oh. Uh, 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 uh. I don't actually know what album that's on. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's like D apostrophe Y E R Maker. It's like... Anyway. I thought you were trying to spell Led Zeppelin backwards. Oh, damn. <laughs> That'd be hard, right? And, anyway. Um, so, but yeah, like, like around, yeah. That, around that age, I was like, yeah, not only am I a music fan, but also I could be a musician. Yeah, because you're seeing kids who are punks mm-hmm. in Santa Cruz playing. Right. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh have still never really experienced or come into contact with explicit sexuality <laughs> in my life. Uh, Whenever I see uh, an ad uh, pop up that says, uh, do you like women? I always say, ew, yeah. that's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is for our other podcast, really, right. where you and I just talk about sex. It's called Ew, That's Nasty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, if you are our friends or family, you can now rejoin us in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the sex I, talk's over. I think I jumped from... Like, I, I don't know if I ever had that experience necessarily with seeing sexuality so viscerally yeah. in music necessarily. Mm-hmm. I jumped from that to just immediate heartbreak. You know, nothing had happened mm-hmm. heartbreak-wise, mm-hmm. but I went straight to, like, uh, Alkaline Trio. You were ready to have your heart broken. And, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I just went into, like, this, uh, that phase of 90s pop punk, like, Jawbreaker, Alkaline Trio, where I was in Blink-182, and, like, just listening to how terribly women are treating men. Mm. And it's Mm -hmm. a shame that it's still going on today. Let me just say. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, like, you know, it's so weird looking back at that, and it's just whiny. Yeah. It's just just whiny stuff, like... And it's so melodramatic, but it's, like we were talking about earlier, that's what you eat up when you're a kid. You're like, oh, wow. You can condense this feeling into, like, one chorus, and I'm just going to yell about, like, how I wish I could smoke cigarettes until my heart sank into the ocean, but I'd always be your anchor. Right, right. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, there's some powerful stuff in there. Not that I really understood what was going on with any of it. I just felt like I, uh... Yeah, I don't know. There was a connection to it, I think, just from the raw emotional, like, content, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. The way it was performed or the way that it was uh, being sung. But I don't think, uh, like, as far as what would be considered legitimate punk stuff, you know, like, I was listening to that. I was listening to ACDC, Tom Petty. Uh, I was getting more into, like, Metallica. But even then, like, in terms of, like, love or relationships, you know, the road became my bride. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, that's, those are the things that I'm hearing about it. Right. It's like, the craft. Yeah. Or you, none of those guys are think, singing about necessarily like good or like baseline interesting experiences within the world of romance or sexuality. Right. It's mostly singing about things 
when they fucked it up or someone else fucked it up right. or they got fucked up about D- it. Done dirt cheap. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big balls. Yep. Yeah. Big balls. Well, that's not that different. Wow. I was going to say that's not that different from Red Hot Chili Peppers in some ways, but in, in some ways it actually is. Yeah. Because they're no, much more like, I, I was not romantic. A, yeah, exactly. And I wasn't a fan of that as much. I think I thought I considered it a little too flamboyant and the mm-hmm. world that I was living in was like Alkaline Trio, Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica. Right. Everyone wears black right. and you have to have a face really... that's like kind of expressionless in a lot of ways. But and that's, is... those are the, the people I was looking at in terms of like, this is who I identify with, who I want to be, you know? It is interesting how kind of repressed mm-hmm. <laughs> that music is, you know, or like, or it's like, yeah, it is. That's, it's, and now I'm like really appreciating what you said about like you skipped that part and just went straight to the heartbreak part and that's kind of what that music is about yeah whereas what i really liked about and still appreciate about the red hot chili peppers and 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 funk music i think that that's the thing Mm -hmm. that's what made me veer into the funk into funk into the funk the funk and and feeling like that has been my favorite genre for a long time is it's it's music about having a pleasant time yeah and, Definitely. And sometimes it's like, you know, kind of spiked with something a little bit darker mm-hmm. and a little bit of urgency or a little bit of passion of a different kind, but it always kind of boils down to like the kind of enjoyment of being in your body mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, that kind of stuff. And like, yeah, like the song Blood Sugar Sex Magic, God damn, you know what yeah. I mean? And it's like funny and like, like goofy kind of like in some ways looking back, but also I can totally understand how that appealed to what I what I thought adult relationships were supposed to be about. <laughs> sure. And everything I was listening to is so self-serious yeah. uh, that it makes you assume that there is no real satisfaction out of any of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think the path that I was on then was, uh, you know, I think I, I started listening to more legitimate punk stuff slowly through, like, Warp Tour, you know? I found out, like, listened to The Exploited and then Circle Jerks and, like, Mm-hmm. Trace some things back here and there to like, but it was mostly like no effects, uh, a lot of against me that became a really big band for me, uh, and just going to Warp Tour, going to Ozfest and mm-hmm. seeing that stuff, seeing the crowds of people, uh, all in one area and, and just uh, finding out that that existed, like mm-hmm. that was huge, um, but then at the same time where I grew up, there was also you know at the same time that I was listening to my first. Black Flag album, like I was listening to Damaged, was the same time that uh, Metalcore, especially in the Bible Belt in Indiana, mm-hmm. like uh, this band Haste the Day had gone to high school, and they were, I want to say like five or six years ahead of me maybe, so yeah. like older, but they were still around, still played shows around at mostly all age spaces, so it was like stuff to do, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was Metalcore, you know, mm-hmm. they were the cool guys, and uh I wish I was cool enough to say, like, I never really liked it. I was just pretending, but I was, I mean, I was into it. I was down. You know, there was a, as humiliating as it is, there's, like, I have a, the Chariot tattoo. Uh, I don't know if you know what that band I is don't at all. Know. They were, like, very Christian, chaotic metalcore. Like, they just destroyed their amps. Hell yeah. Yeah. In, this, in the terms of, like, what that whole genre was, you know, like, right. just playing riffs and, like, you know, all that's very exciting to watch, especially if you started playing guitar now and, like, right. seeing these cool older guys with tattoos playing the cool guitars and, like, doing this stuff. And 
That's what I wanted to be, obviously. Be blessed by the Rift Gods. And then I saw this other band, The Chariot, and the, the singers just, like, swallowing the whole microphone and, like, throwing it in the air and, like, jumping off of the stage. The guitar player's, like, smashing his guitar and his amps after every show. Uh, you know, like, the drum set's getting ripped apart and the drummer's just playing the floor tom and, like, that's the yeah, only yeah. thing that's next to him anymore. Right. And it was, like, definitely under some... There's a lot of layers to unpack in terms of, like, the religious approach, the, uh, y- you know, the weird... Uh, marketing towards this younger audience who's, mm-hmm. like, very identity-less. Right. Uh, there's a lot of problems, I think, I have with all of that stuff. Christianity is metal. there was something about it that was really cool. Yeah. And I think it's mostly... There's the same feelings that I experienced when I, like, discovered the Stooges or MC5 or, like, stuff like that in college and at an older age was, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Like, mm-hmm. this is the stuff that I, you know, because I wasn't born the time that I was, like, I would have experienced this, you know, or this would have been my, my jam, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, time is what it is, the internet is what it is, and I didn't have it until I was, like, 18, right. but I was very into that, I was living, like, I think in high school is where everything kind of started to separate into these little categories, right. I was listening to Lollapalooza-type bands with certain amounts of, like, certain groups of friends, I was listening to, like, metalcore stuff with other friends. I was listening to, like, some, like, grindcore, more aggravated and just weird experimental stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anal cunt and, like, oh, just yeah. the crazy oh, stuff, my you know? God, you just unlocked a uh, door in my brain. <laughs> and then I was listening to, like, hip-hop and pop and classic rock, you know? Oh and it was just all over the place, and I started to, like, think that it was all separated out. You couldn't really do all of it at once, like... Right. I hadn't really put that together. Yeah, I was still kind of hedging my bets as to what was going to be the thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Because everyone I knew just wanted to play in uh, the metalcore bands. So that's when I started to play guitar, and that's what I was doing. It was like writing breakdowns, Mm -hmm. (laughs) swinging my guitar around in someone's basement. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm lying, but... I know. I appreciate it, though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I I ultimately, even though I was like kind of hanging out with punks and going to punk shows, I was always kind of flirting with the edges of that because ultimately I'd never, I didn't feel like pissed off enough. Sure. Yeah, I always felt like uh, I was kind of pretending, even though like I appreciated the energy and I appreciated the music and I really liked the people that I was hanging out with. Yeah. Especially because they were like the group of people that was, like, making an identity out of being an outsider. Mm-hmm. That was, like, really attractive to me. But ultimately, I mean, the fact was, I was I went to rock camp with these kids. Like, yeah. For me, it was hard to feel pissed off about making music in that kind of environment. You were, like, the kid having a great time. You know? Or, like... Just and then, playing the drums, smiling through the whole thing. Right. Everyone else was just like, fuck this shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like... Or, or like, but it was very practiced for them because mm-hmm. they grew up with their parents who were, like, in rock bands. And so they, mm. they understood the imagery... And yeah. the, you know what I mean? The symbolism and yeah. the performance of it in a way that I was like, I was just too fucking earnest. Like I just didn't. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I figured I was supposed to like, just feel that passionate about it automatically. And, and I was, but I was like, I feel happy when I play music. I'm not mad. Yeah. And that's, then that's <laughs> such a crazy revelation to have. Yeah. And then like in the next couple of years after that, I did jazz camp mm-hmm. and then I was in jazz band playing drums throughout high school. And so I, I, which I was never very good at, I want to be clear, but you know, I was always drawn to, like, Jazz Fusion, like, Herbie Hancock, and, like, the excessive funny stuff to play, yeah. like, at least as a drummer. It's, like, yeah. cool syncopated beats, and 
you know, it was like the most like hip hop, which I've never felt like I was, I'm an expert on, but I've always kind of appreciated it, especially like, it, well, it's bled into my life in ways that I think are, would be laughable to actual hip hop fans, you know, like hearing Della Funky Homo Sapien on a Gorillaz song and being like, oh, or like, yeah, like hearing, uh, uh, De La Soul on Feel Good Inc. by the Gorillaz and being like, oh my God, like, like learning about yeah, classic yeah, hip hop through, exactly. which is maybe embarrassing, but that's how I came around to it. But anyway, but like, uh, or like other things, like my mom had a tape, still has a tape that's like, one of the sides is, uh, the Digital Underground, classic, you know, Oakland hip hop group that, uh, actually had Tupac as a member early on. And then the other side was Parliament, Funkadelic. And that became like a, like probably the most important band for me throughout high school was, was P-Funk. Yeah. And it's because like, you know, I'd watch clips of like the Red Hot Chili Peppers in a hotel room watching a P-Funk performance on TV or watching Sly and the Family Stone on TV and, and commenting on like how they drew direct inspiration from these funk musicians. I was like, oh, this is the source. This is everything. And kind of from there on out, I was like, it's all about funk music. And then everything that me and my friends tried to play uh, was like, you know, like none of us were like confident singers and didn't want to be front people. We just wanted to play funky music that mm -hmm. we thought was cool. And so the closest thing we ever came to actually writing songs were like, there was one called Big Thunder Rumblefish. And that was just what we said over and over again, I'm pretty sure. I, don't, I forget if there were actual verses. There probably were. But it was just, like, gang vocals. Like, big thunder rumble fish. You know, like, like just the most meaningless. But, like, like very close to, like, the Red Hat Chili Yeah, first. yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> just saying words because they sound good. Um, but none of us could pretend to be pissed, really. So we kind of just right. sidestepped that whole thing. See, the pissed thing came pretty easy, I feel like. I was I was pissed. I had right. a bad time in yeah. middle school and high school for outside reasons and inside reasons, I think. But, you know, it was a lot of just doing bad kid stuff, like smoking cigarettes, drinking, staying out, sneaking out, skateboarding, breaking things, breaking myself, that kind of stuff. Writing songs about it. Writing songs about it. Yeah, but I think, like, what were your listening habits like in high school? Like... Uh, I was definitely, and this has changed for me a lot now, where I was, I kind of constantly had my earbuds in my pocket. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the bell rang from one class to another, mm -hmm. they were in. Song was playing as much time as I could get from one class to, you know, if I had to stop at a locker or go somewhere else, like, like until the very last second, mm -hmm. then I would take it out. Right. And, like, put my CD player away or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, and I, I think I did that up through college, where it was just every chance I could get. Like, suddenly there was so much music out there. Right. Why am I wasting time walking around in silence? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I don't do that anymore, but, like, what were you doing in high school? I mean, I feel like I was just bullshitting with my friends, for the most part. Like, uh, it was funny, because, like, in sixth grade I went to public school, and that's where I met the punks, and that's where I was like, okay, that's like, I started to form my identity as an individual and as a music fan and then for seventh and eighth grade I went to a private school where I was like one of the coolest kids in school just because I had gone to public school in the past yeah, you right. know what I mean like like everyone else was a, a nerd mm -hmm. for the most part and so I got a lot of respect as like a cool kid for, with cool taste right. and like and then you know I, and that's where I met a bunch of kids who had a fair amount of money but were disaffected for whatever reason and listened to metal right was in private school 
and it was like you know a kid who like a bunch of kids who skateboarded and that's where I smoked weed for the first time was at the skate park with the kids who skateboarded mm-hmm. and I was always like falling behind like falling down and like you know they're all like way ahead on their skateboards and I was like like, ah, like struggling to catch up but they listened to like Slayer mm-hmm. and you know like I was kind of introduced like Opeth I was introduced to all those yeah. bands in those days and there was like a metalhead kid in class um, but then by the time I got to high school music was still important to me and I was like playing music with my friends that I that I made that I kind of left private school to hang out with in public school um but by that time I, I don't know I had come to understand that school was kind of a social event more than anything for me sure because I was able to kind of just skate through everything that I all the classes that I needed to take and like just kind of like I mean I wouldn't do great in the ones that I wasn't really interested in but I could just kind of minimize yeah. all of that and it didn't affect me too much and I was, right. it was all about just hanging out with my buddies um I feel like listening to music was either like hanging out with my friends and like watching stuff on YouTube and like, and like playing music or listening to music together. Or it was just like a totally solitary thing that I didn't, I didn't really do at school so much. Right. Yeah. See, that's, that's super interesting to me. Cause I was, I was just stuck in my head and I was mm-hmm. like keeping it there. I was right. like, I'm just gonna, this is mine. Mm-hmm. This is my world. Right. But then there were the songs like, uh, yeah, I'd have an acoustic guitar and I'd go to parties mm-hmm. and get tr- drunk enough to feel like I could sing a song, you know? Hell yeah. And then sing, like, an Against Me ballad or, nice. you know, that everybody would know the words to. Right. That was a big part of, like, the high school parties for sure, mm-hmm. which was super cool. I, it's really great to look back at that. And for one, not have been arrested. Right. But two, also, uh, just think about, like, how that was a cool shareable moment, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um... So how, like, outside of high school, like, I got into, like I said earlier, I now had the internet. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on dial-up internet anymore. I had my own laptop I bought with student loans. Uh, I was in college, you know, in a dorm room, mostly unsupervised. Um, and I just started downloading music. Mm-hmm. Like, it became the number one imperative for me. In a lot of ways, it was just collecting, just getting as much stuff, you know, I was going to, oh, what was it called? There's a, it's not LimeWire, but there's something else that used to tour Napster? stuff. No. Not LimeWire or Napster? No. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I used to just, you know, just search for, like, Bob Dylan discography. Pirate Bay? No. Oh. It was like a, it was a, look, I don't know how to use computers. Okay. If you're trying to, if you're just trying to <laughs> catch me in. Nah, it's all right. It, yeah. See, I use the MP YouTube to MP3 converter a lot. I don't know about you, but I was like, I would find some music that I wanted, and I'd be like, I would just find the YouTube video, and then that was like, you know, hopefully had like no big gaps at the beginning of the track, and just like started more or less right away. Mm-hmm. I like audio quality that wasn't too too compressed, and then I would take it to a web- that thing. yeah, and like convert it into my iTunes. So I just had a whole bunch of songs that were like all jacked up in terms of the artist name, <laughs> and like you know, like damn. But see, that's like. That's I can't handle that stuff either. Like I had I was just downloading Miles Davis discography, Bob Dylan discography. Right. Uh, what's oh, this? Someone tells me about this band called Wilco. I'm gonna get the whole Wilco thing. I'm gonna get right. like let me download as much of like uh, Dio, like his all of Dio's discography, every song he's ever been on. Like and I was just organizing it all in my iTunes. I think at one point in college I had like 160 gigs of mm-hmm. music just because I was yeah. compiling it. And then at another point in college, and that's where also my interest in 
genres were just it was branching out everywhere you know Mm -hmm. and i was finding out more about like what was what had happened in indiana locally and what it was like happening currently uh there's a band called race bannon that was huge Mm -hmm. and like introducing me to what noise rock was what it could be like and just like what what music could sound like it's just it's crazy it's awesome uh there was like the zero boys who were around during the days of like SST and Discord, mm-hmm. uh, when a lot of the more seminal punk stuff was coming out, you know, there's there would be no way of me having known any of that if I hadn't one day walked by the record store that was close to campus, stopped in and talked to Travis. Uh, and this is a college out. campus. Yeah, yeah. At Ball State University, shout out Village Green Records at Ball State in Muncie, Indiana, uh, and he was just like a welcoming guy. He just happened to be an older guy. Not older. Sorry, Travis. <laughs> like, <laughs> Older than ancient. college. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he happened to be, like, the most friendly, sincere person in terms of, like, introducing you to stuff. Wanting to find, like, a, this is a real matchmaker type of person. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you interested in? What are you listening to now? Like, what where direction are you trying to go in? And uh, introduced me just to so much stuff, you know? That's how I, I first learned about, like, the band Sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I learned like the band Low, uh, so many like alt hip hop artists out of that, and like just cool punk stuff, weird mm-hmm. stuff, all mm-hmm. of the things that like convinced me that this was like more than a hobby, you know, especially in school, uh, trying to figure out what the purpose of all this shit is, you know, why right. did I, why am I here, why did I get so many pieces of money out of the the American government to do this Mm -hmm. and uh most of it I realized I was like it has to be music like it has has to be something with that you know and uh I think that's when I decided to do journalism was that all right cool I'll try to write about like important stuff but at the end of the day if I can I think I'll be able to write about music Mm -hmm. and that's wound up being untrue um (laughs) so far (laughs) so far yeah no, but it's been something that I can rely on, or that I, you know, I can feel, I can do and not feel like is work in any way. Yeah. Which is very cool. Um, and I don't know that that realization came soon enough, but mm-hmm. it was cool having that experience in college where I mostly felt pretty isolated. A lot of my friends went to Chicago, mm-hmm. and that was a, a big source of stress in college, too, was just not having the same kind of connections around. But I was able to find through, uh, you know, a record store and through people playing shows locally, like, this whole other identity as, like, a, mu- a musician or also just, like, someone who's collecting records. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm certain wasn't the first person or the first person in, like, that revival of the record industry, but I started collecting records again because I was like, all right, this is, this is cool. I don't know why I wasn't doing this before, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, I definitely did a lot of investigation online. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot more than I do now, and I feel like I need to kind of tap more back into that almost obsessive quality that I that I definitely had early on, or, like, as I was really coming into myself as a music fan and having my own taste and everything. Like, I remember one Tumblr blog in particular called Hellhound on My Trail. Ooh. It was, like, the kind of, like, creepy Halloween, <laughs> early blues, cramps yeah. kind of aesthetic. And, and that, that's where I was introduced to the cramps. That's where I was introduced to, like, Screaming Jay Hawkins mm-hmm. and, like, all these kind of, like, spooky, 
you know, Halloween, like, rockabilly kind of stuff, but, like, the good stuff. And I was like, oh, man, this rules, you know? And there's, like, so many... I I just trusted their taste so much. Yeah, That, like, when they would post some new shit, I'd be like, oh, my God, like, Karen Dalton? Yeah, this Mm -hmm. is great, you know? Um, So I definitely... But I would also, like, discover a new band through something like that, and then I would, like, read their Wikipedia page. You know, like, I I was cross-referencing multiple tabs open you know what i mean like i was like i was getting deep into it mm-hmm. um at that time and like i that's been kind of lost to me somewhat um especially okay so that so i finished high school and then i went to community college for three years and it was there that i was we were talking about this earlier before we started recording that it was in community college where i really start started to feel like my what i thought mattered and i could write about my opinions and that was gonna yeah. be really good not really good but you know i would be able to express myself and people would appreciate it um and the essay that i wrote that really made, made me realize that i wanted to study culture and that made me feel that way was an essay that i wrote about madonna and bell hooks and her like critique of madonna yeah and white white femi- white feminism and, and that kind of stuff and so like from, from the very beginning it's always interested me to think about music because I know how deeply it affects me. Yeah. Like that's, I've had so many epiphanies and so many aha moments and so many indescribable emotions, you know, or, or, or rather music that helps me reflect on, you know, what I struggle to articulate, um, that I've always just known how important it is kind of inherently. And so when it came to thinking about, okay, well, what actually matters in the world and what matters to me and what, what do I feel like I've, something to say about it's it's been music or or you know art of one kind or another and so what when i went to before university after that when i transferred i was like yeah that's what i'm going to study so i mean i had kind of pursued journalism somewhat in community college but there wasn't a degree for that at cal and so i ended up doing uh american studies <clears throat> and focusing on the relationship between politics and culture and through that process ended up feeling like like, I was much more optimistic when I started about the ability for musicians and for art to change the world in positive ways, yeah. in a really direct one-to-one way. And I came out, in, I think, in a way that is important, or, like, this is a good thing in some ways, like, kind of disabused of that idea. Yeah. With, I came out with a more complicated um, appreciation of music. And but and there's, like, kind of a ball of bumps there, but I still came out feeling like... Um, still still feeling like it's just as powerful kind of like in my in my personal experience like mm-hmm. anecdotally still just as powerful as i thought as i feel like it was when i was a child you know no and i feel the same way i think that's how we were sure that we're both like nerds about it right and pretty like uh obsessive with like these little pretty like minute details in different artists lives and mm-hmm. different things that they've said or something like that and we're like dude have you seen this right. you know yeah yeah i mean that's it's cool and it's i think it only gets more and more complicated as time goes on as Mm -hmm. i've noticed at least uh especially with having started this podcast you know that's talking about music and culture uh with my other friend max Um, who am i i've got it oh i'm sorry oh my god (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah it's i mean like what are your listening habits now uh because i'm mostly i don't have a commute Really, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. much as uh, anyone else, like a lot of people I know, listen to so many podcasts and 
get all this stuff done that way. And I don't have that anymore. I don't really have, like, an interest in walking around, listening to my headphones. Although I do, I walk around a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ride my bike around a lot. My my stuff is mostly, I listen in the car, driving around, doing errands or something. Uh, I will listen at home on, like, a record player, on a computer, on a cassette player that I have. I have a lot of tapes now. I have a lot of records, like vinyl. And outside of that, I don't... It's it's tough for me to, like, sit down and really study music as much as it used to are you, be. Are you normally multitasking? Normally multitasking, doing laundry, or, like, writing or reading or... Yeah, I don't know. I'm Usually it's, like, but every now and then I will feel the urge and I'll sit down and listen to something that I feel needs my full attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Every now and then. Uh, it's usually stuff like, it's never stuff that someone's like, this album just came out, you gotta listen to it. I'll be like, alright, yeah, right. cool, I'll check it out, I'll put it on when I'm at the gym or something, you know? That's why I get a lot of stuff done at the gym, I think. But usually it's something like, oh yeah, I need to take a deep look into, like, Brian Eno music for airports, you know? Right. <laughs> and so I will, like, put that on and just lay in bed and, like, stare at the ceiling. That's a good album And for you it. get a lot of... I think you get a lot more understanding of things that way. And, like, I, you know, in a, a different world, that should be the way you treat most records. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? But, you know, it's tough to have time for all of that. Yeah, that's an interesting question, because... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that I've been feeling since we're, like, setting about doing this project, and I'm like, okay, like, what am I listening to this week? Mm-hmm. And being like, damn, like, did I listen to anything? And, and then I have, for the most part, but, like, I don't know, it's, um, it's so related to going in between things. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts all the time, and, like, I'll be, like, getting on my bike, walking down the street, listening to a podcast, uh, I'm, like, just hungry for content all the time, so... But, but I, I kind of find it difficult to seek out newer music. Yeah. Partly it's because I have a, I have this feeling of, like, I'm, like, the, the more I live life, the more aware I become, like, painfully aware I become of all the gaps in my knowledge. So I'm right. Like, Damn, there's all this classic shit. But, like, the other, the other day I was just walking around listening to Tom's Diner over and over mm-hmm. again. I was like, this track goes, you know? Yeah, like, no, I mean, <laughs> I have that big list, too, of just, like, yeah. here's all this stuff that I missed. Right. Because always, there's always going to be more stuff, though, too, that's, like... Right. But then yeah. there's, like, bands that, like, I can't seem to get out of their gravitational pull. Like, mm-hmm. I was just telling you, like, I mean, for the past, I don't know how long they've even been around, like, since 2011 or so. Like, maybe since, like, 2012 or 2013, for, for the past several years, I've been kind of going back and forth, really liking Death Grips. Mm-hmm. And then, like, having long periods of being, like, I can't even think about listening to them. It's too yeah. intense. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I still feel... Why did I start talking about that just now? Oh, we're doing a podcast. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's what this thing is. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... So everything changes. I mean, there's definitely, I think, what we've kind of touched on multiple times in this one, we've said that there's, like, a time and place for different music, right? You know, mm. like, you put different songs on at a party or, like some tracks you're just showing a friend, some stuff you just, like, listen to on your own. Right. Uh, it's it's weird to try to suss all of that stuff out, especially as we further and further live into this world that's so separated and together, you know, like, on the internet, sharing mm-hmm. a track. Uh, there's, probably, there's so many people, I'm sure, that work for 
different media publications who are just sharing tracks like new song new right. song right. oh you gotta hear this new track like and uh, I don't think that's really the most rational way to look for music or it's, or it's not the most uh, holistic you know right maybe I think between the two of us and I haven't said this out loud and neither of you and you're welcome to disagree with it uh, at I disagree. the cost of your own life oh my god I take but, it but <laughs> uh, I think both of us are more interested in trying to figure out where music fits into our lives and how that happens. Like, not, well, I listened to this album because Pitchfork told me it was good. Mm -hmm. And I guess I agree with that. Like, and that's how I, that's how I want to hear about all my music. I don't want to, I don't want to discover things that way. Right. I'm more interested in the process of, uh, yeah, my friend, uh, posted this link to an artist that he liked. Uh, and then that led me down this other wormhole. And eventually the algorithm on Spotify showed me, uh, the human, Right. And, like, that band rules. Mm -hmm. I never checked them out. Mm -hmm. Some really weird Seattle grunge, like, noise stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I like... Like, uh, hearing the story of how you come into that stuff, I think, gives us a deeper understanding into, like, what we... What we're looking for. Or, like, what we're interested in culturally and musically. You know? It's, like, deeper into, like, who you are and what you're hungry for. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's valuable. More valuable than, like these people who are the gatekeepers to this stuff told us it was okay to listen to this. And and also, I think what's we've been kind of discussing around, but not really saying it, it's just that, like, our... I think we both... It's become clear that we have, like, different sensibilities mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways, but also that we weren't just born with those sensibilities, mm -hmm. that we cobbled them together, sometimes consciously, sometimes not. Yeah. But, like, over the course of our lives, in order to, like maybe make sense of what's going on with us at a given time or to fit in with a group of people or to consciously not fit in with a group of people. Yeah. But we were making a bunch of choices that, like, we discerned the field of available music to us. Yeah. And available ways to express ourselves and we were, and, and different t-shirts that we felt like were, were going to represent us. And we're like, yeah, like, yeah. I want to wear a shirt that says Circle Jerk on it. Yeah. Uh, so everyone knows that I'm not fucking around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, but that that doesn't that kind of constructing your sense of yourself through throughout your life doesn't isn't um, phony. Yeah. Or if it sure. is, then we're phony, right? Yeah. Well, and I think the, the big problem with all of that stuff is that everyone's phony. You know, we're all we're all kind of making up an artifice. Like, there's no, there's nothing that exists that isn't just made up out of like society's needs or your wants and needs as like a social creature. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that's what separates us from uh, a animals that don't have those social needs and, right. like, the more complicated, fashionable ways that we do. Right. Uh, and music maybe is a part of that, but it's, it's like, worth understanding outside of the consumeristic point of view, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Because it existed outside of that for a long time, you know? And it exists outside of that still uh, with people, I think, like you or me who aren't thinking about it in that, like those terms mm -hmm. specifically. Although there are like obviously DIY musicians that should be supported and you should buy their records. You should buy their merch. You should wear their shirts, you know? Right. I'm wearing a shirt for a band called Uniform from New York right now. And I like that band a lot. Right. And it, like, uh, it looks like the Dead Kennedys logo, but different. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like that's... It's all part of it, I guess. It's all part of... Uh, and that's what's so interesting. is like, why am I wearing this shirt? Like, you know, like, what... What conversations can we have about... Uh, what, 
the way that music impacts, like, the way we dress, the way we interact with other people, like, what we're trying to say to other people through, like, listening to different artists or putting on those shirts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's stuff that uh, I definitely didn't realize when I was younger. But now that I'm older, I kind of, you know, now that I'm older and I can look back and see that all of that was just so much bullshit and so exhausting for little to no reason. Right. And it's like, dang, what was that about, though? Like, yeah. I wonder, and I'm now more interested in just finding music I can connect with in ways, you know? Right. And in listening to stuff that, like, grabs me or is exciting in ways beyond that immediate reaction or beyond, like, being flashy or new or mm -hmm. what other people say is cool. And that's right. a, that's a very, like, cathartic point to reach, I think, as an adult, where you can totally. listen to stuff like that. Like, where I can listen, I watched that movie yesterday, yeah. Beatles, and I've Hell, been on a Beatles yeah. kick. And uh, just listening to songs like, uh, Help, like... <laughs> Bro, I'm just listening to oh, Help damn. and not drinking Coca-Cola's out here, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah. it's, it's so good to feel like that. But when I think as a teenager, for sure, I would have felt like, oh, I'm not listening to that fucking band. That's stupid. That Where is... now as an adult, I'm like, I'll listen to that band. Yeah. Uh, a couple of those guys are pretty fucking problematic, but I'll listen to that band. <laughs> problematic fave. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the most important developments in my musical tastes in the past, like, five years mm -hmm. has been... Because, like, for so long I defined my identity in terms of being, like against the mainstream whatever is pop i don't like yeah and rather than kind of turning to like heavy music that was coming out in my own moment i was like no i'm into 60s music bro i like the 70s like yeah music made after the like after the 70s sucks ass you know i think like, that's something both of us have in common is just wanting to have been born in a different time period yes but i've increasingly become embarrassed by that <laughs> attitude um and I think to a healthy extent. Yeah. Um, and I, there was one summer, I remember when, uh, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but Adele's Hello was on the radio a lot. And for whatever reason, I was in Santa Cruz driving around a lot in my car with a broken tape deck that I could only have the radio. And so I was also always turning on K-Don, the really popular music station, listening to like Drake and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I that summer... Uh, what, I, I don't know what kind of place I was in, but I just realized that I really liked all of that. Yeah. And that... Uh, you know, I was just denying myself a lot, like the potential to enjoy yeah. a wider variety of things. Um, and, I, and I feel, I, you know, I take a lot of joy and relish in liking really stuff that I feel like is actually corny. And like when I actually enjoy it and appreciate it, then I can just more or less dig into that. And it, I think it's actually kind of fun to uh, annoy other people with <laughs> trying to get stuff out of it. Yeah. yeah. Or also, I mean, I just, I love being wrong yeah, about yeah, stuff yeah. too. Where I've just, like, assumed something about an artist for so long and then get proved wrong. It's, right. It feels bad at first, and then it feels really good. Right. And I, I think I'm, we're both people that have pretty strong opinions about things, too. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely run into trouble taking too hard of lines mm -hmm. on things. And I, I'm trying to find a place, I think, and maybe I'll find the balance later in my life, but I kind of feel like, to some degree, I just talk off the cuff out of my ass oh, yeah. a lot. And that's just kind of who I am. And so I think rather than like stop trying to stop doing that, I just have to get more comfortable with being wrong and yeah. having people call me out for it because, just, you know what I mean? Like, like be comfortable I, with being wrong and being able to walk it back. And like fundamentally, yeah. I don't think I can change mm -hmm. how much of a loudmouth I am. Yeah. And the fact that like there's like, you know, a millimeter between 
a thought that I have and then me saying it. Like, there's no, like, I have very few filters in terms of, like, oh, maybe you should, like, maybe you're, you know, generalizing about something that really shouldn't be generalized about or whatever. But I guess I should have people around me that will tell me when I'm wrong. Yeah. Like, I remember a, a really good friend of mine, we were, I think he, he, he turned on Childish Gambino's Redbone, and I was like, I, I literally, I scoffed. You know, I was like, bro. Dude, and like, I was like, dude, like, you, you and me both know, like, this is just a ripoff of fucking Bootsy Collins. I'd rather be with you, dude. Like, this is bullshit, bro. Yeah. And then he got really mad at me. Wow. And it, and it wasn't because he, like, loves the song. It's just like, he was like, dude, like, why'd you have to just scoff at this song that I just put on, bro? That was so unnecessary. Yeah. And I felt, like, I literally left his house. Like, I felt so bad, you know? But it was like, like, yeah, like, why are you, you know... Can't yuck anybody. You can't yuck someone's. You know, it's a tough line to be so critical and passionately yeah. so, but then also have to be understanding. And I think at the end of the day, any connection that people make with music that's not hurting someone or like, right. you know, any connection that you make, just grab it by the fucking reins. Like that's a gift. That's a blessing. Like mm-hmm. it's few and far between that I hear a record and I'm like blown away. You know. Right. And I think it's it's a lot of like being an addict to stuff. You know, like. Right. That first cigarette you get is the best one you're gonna have. Right. Uh, it's but, the same with like those early albums, and then you don't really find that rush as often. Right. But you, then even when you do, you're like, oh yeah, this was, that's what that felt like. This is cool. But I, and I also think that gets to the point of like as much as music has to be shared and art has to be shared in order to really fulfill its function and everything. There's something about musicians that I think that we admire, and there's something about both of us as people that are kind of obsessive about this sort of thing. Um, that it fundamentally at some point doesn't matter what other people think. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's important, you know, I mean, I'm always trying to find that balance in mm-hmm. my own life and I, I don't think I've succeeded by a long shot, but I think I'm getting better and better at that the older that I get of being like, you know what, I'm really into this band of three, you know, sisters from LA called Haim. Mm-hmm. And like everybody, everybody that I show it to, like they hate it. <laughs> but like... I've just become just barely comfortable enough in my own sense of what I like to be like, that's okay. Yeah. You know, like I I like the goal. Yeah. I like this, uh, kind of urban outfitters band and that's okay. Yeah. I think that's the end goal, man. Yeah. We should all just, uh, make a coffee table book that is sold in urban outfitters. (laughs) (laughs) The book of fuckery by Max. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I think that's... I think we get it. We got it all. I think we nailed it. We did it all. We killed it. And now I know you. I'm done with you. Uh, if you enjoyed that episode, please check out our first episode, which is a little bit rougher than this, but I think we got through it okay. Absolutely. Uh, and also check out the link to this website. We're posting uh, different finds that we've had every week of just bands we were listening to kind of talking about how we found them or what we like about them Mm -hmm. and there's going to be more content there soon in terms of like essays and features just a lot of words uh so thanks so much for listening this has been how i hear it thank you